0: Yo, what's happening? Of course. <laughs> There's no need to stand on ceremony here, Mr. Wayne. Um, it would be pretty awesome to be Bruce Wayne, wouldn't it? No. Hmm. Oh, Bane? Bane comes later. later. <laughs> <Just> like...
1: <laughs> There's no conversation here. There's a bunch There's of no quotes. conversation
0: bane. here. <laughs> Speak of the devil and he shall appear. <laughs> oh, that's good.
1: That's good. You, you've definitely honed um, the bane, the inner bane. Watch out, world. He's coming.
0: I'm not allowed to do it in my house, so I have to do it now. Mm, I mean, I'm good. in my house. I just can't do it around my wife. <laughs> I've been exiled to do bane. <laughs> so good.
2: Welcome to the More In Common Podcast. This is a place where we explore the fact that we have more in common than that which divides us by anchoring humanity and compassionate conversation. I'm Azzy, a new listener, and I'm happy to be introducing today's show. Now remember, you can find all things more in common at moreincommonpod.com like their episodes, merchandise, blogs, and more. Of course, if you like what you hear, give them a like in your favorite podcast app and leave a review. It helps promote the show and get more ears on the amazing conversations. Even better, if you leave a review, we will try to read it on a future show and share. On to today's episode as a part of 2020, A Decade Possible. This is season three, A Pursuit. Today, the guys are with Teresa G. Teresa has a great personal story that certainly inspires going forward and making things happen in life. In this conversation, they talk about a lot of things like making the jump to entrepreneurship, coming up in a low-income family, standing up for herself, being anorexic, being mixed, her podcast, and what led to her start. Enjoy today's amazing conversation with the Teresa Jean. There is a lot, there is a lot of
3: uh, just me trying to always fit in and me always being the black girl in, in my childhood and in my life, which I love now. I love that. But as a child, it really made me insecure. Um, cause I was always getting stared at everywhere we went. And, um, I was always the odd one out and, um, You know, to anyone out there in that sort of situation, I would just want to say, now I know that I am valuable enough to stand up and say, you know what, I if you ever touch me like that again or if you ever talk to me like that again, it's gonna be a problem. So this is your, this is your warning. Um, and I suggest that you, it's so hard when you're in it, but it will just change your life to either break out of it or just use your voice.
1: Welcome back to the show. Today, we are with Teresa uh, from the Good with Teresa G podcast. Uh, Teresa is a mother, wife, activist, entrepreneur, and lover of nature. Her deepest love affair has always been with nature. She enjoys traveling and immersing herself in different cultures and people. She loves learning from other people. And as she says, everyone on this planet is so unique, but similar, similar. Teresa is an entrepreneur. She has created and owned a few successful businesses, some not so successful too. Her background is in social services, environmental education, and design. She has spent the last 10 years with a focus on designing spaces that support the health and well-being of people and our planet. In 2017, she woke up and decided she needed to start a podcast, bringing all her passion for connection together into a platform with the goal of focusing on the good in the world. The podcast inspires, rewires, and educates, exploring the opportunities that current global, societal, economic, planetary, and health challenges have created. Thanks for joining us, Teresa.
3: I'm excited to be here. Thank you for asking me to come on.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for joining us.
0: We're super excited. So to kick off- Actually, I think technically you reached out and I was just slow to respond because- I never checked the DMs like I'm supposed to. (laughs) You were super gracious and super patient with me. So I appreciate that.
3: Well, remember you sent me a video on Instagram. It was the first video I got on Instagram, actually. And it was, I don't know Uh, when it was. And you're like, do you want to be on my podcast? And I was like, whoa. And then I said, do you want to be on my podcast? And you said, and then you never responded.
0: Oh, that's oh. why. You know what? That's why it took.
3: And I was thinking, hmm, maybe he doesn't want to be so we, on the podcast. So that's the answer
0: is yes. So the answer so the answer, that, so that's a, now I remember. Um yeah, when you asked that question, basically I got scared and went away. Cuz uh, <laughs> we've only we've that. only done one uh podcast interview and that's a goal for later this year, but uh at that moment, I was absolutely not ready to talk yeah uh, on a podcast. and the, so, i
3: totally respect uh, that too you know i mean i'm totally fine with that but you're always but, but, you but i didn't realize like, it Come on
0: well we we would love to mm-hmm. I, so. I didn't realize it though because it because now i would just say hey i'm not in a place to do that but then i just like tuck my <laughs> tail and just like ran like it well, just disappeared
1: i, I think
3: that's totally no
0: answer <laughs> acceptable
3: i think that's totally acceptable and, and i i respect that fully I so you, you know, I, you guys do have open invitation because anytime I listen to your podcast, I'm like, "Darn these guys! I need to get them on." Need to under, you know, well, it's like you guys are special. So <laughs> thank
1: you, thank you. We appreciate that. We'll need to, we'll definitely need to coordinate that asap. Um, I'm excited. So, but to start today's show, yeah, one thing that forever intrigues us as budding entrepreneurs ourselves um, is this idea of that moment right when others because we haven't had it yet went full commitment to their entrepreneurial ambitions um and you say it in your bio you had that one one of those moments yourself where you just woke up said to your husband my soul was dying and i had to quit my six-figure job mm-hmm. um you have a family you have you have a six-year-old yeah you, you have a husband um and you still decided to do it. I'm curious because this, this this decision is this framework that we sit in right now. So how long did it take to get there?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: How long did it, like, what was that buildup like? And then, like, seriously, how did you do it?
3: Well, you know, I did it in a way that I always tell uh, my siblings in particular, don't do what I do.
1: do what What i I say yeah i give better advice than i live yeah yeah
3: and um (laughs) you know it it was all a seed that actually my father-in-law planted um when i first met him 25 years ago um because he was always um working for himself and he gave me the rich dad poor dad books and i remember and he talked to me and my husband my husband's never really worked for anyone else either so um he has that seed from his dad and um he gave us the rich dad poor dad books and that was when it was really popular that both of you guys have did have you, either of you read those books
0: i've read most of it uh, i've read the first i've read rich dad poor dad i haven't yeah. read the suit any other.
3: so i um i remember reading that while we were driving to denver like i read it out loud to my husband because i get you know really into stuff so that was the first seed, and that was when I first, I started my first um, job, and that was a, uh, or my first business, um, and that was actually called Sunshine Weeding, and I, weeding, weeding like, like weeding, like pulling weed
1: weeds, mm-hmm. oh.
3: and we had these purple shirts with these sunshines on them, and um, because I was teaching, I was a teacher, so we would spend the summer, I'd get all of my teacher friends, and we'd spend the summer weeding um people's gardens and garden beds and it was a great side business and that was my first business and that i started probably i want to say six months after reading rich dad poor dad um it just sort of inspired me so that was the beginning um and then i like
1: it sounds like that first that sorry to interrupt but that first business like high school kids who have the entrepreneur spirit, like gather their friends and go do things. I love it. It's like gather teachers and do it. You know, I love that. I think it's awesome.
3: And because, you know, we don't work in the summer, you have it off as a teacher. So it worked out well.
1: Right.
3: Um, But then I got a job, um, a good job. And I, um, I sort of put that business to sleep because I was working too much and I didn't have time to do that anymore. Um, So, I had a lot, I've always been a really goal-oriented person, and when I was younger, it was really just about um, money, um, because I came from a lower-class family, um, and and I was the first one to go to college. All my siblings have gone to college, though, now, and um, it was, I just had a goal, like, I needed to make money. I needed to make money. I wanted to make money. I wanted to help my family out. I wanted to make money, make money. So that was my mantra so when I you, was younger.
0: Real quick. When you said um, you got a good job, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: is that what you mean? Like it was making, you were making money, making good money?
3: Well, and it was filling a lot of my passions. Um, It was um, working for our local university and it was um, focusing on on education and Mm -hmm. hands-on education, which I'm a huge advocate for hands-on education. And I was working for um, a program that I have adored since i was like 12 um it was it's called well they've changed their name a lot but when i worked for them it was jason project um and they take kids all over the world on science expeditions so it was like everything really for me it was like my passions my the money um the fact that it was at the university so it had good benefits and all of those things you know
0: yeah yeah
3: Uh, But that was the thing is that was my major goal was money, money to make money. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not until later in life. Mm -hmm. And that's when I quit my six figure job. Um, And that environment was pretty toxic, even though I have to say I learned so much from that um, job. And I learned a lot about what my potential was. Um, And this isn't the university job. This is my next job, which was in sales. And
0: got it. Oh, sales. Yeah, we sales love and hate the. Mm-hmm.
3: And imagine me coming in from only working in nonprofits and yeah. um at the university into sales. <laughs> so yeah, it's like That's, it's, a,
0: that's a shift. <laughs> that is, that is a, a shift. shift. And, and and I and I give it, you know, we're just blanketly talking about sales. Not all sales organizations or companies are toxic or bad.
3: Oh no.
1: But the job itself definitely has some parallels across all. But it
0: has that that like that's the the, the je ne sais quoi. It's the feeling. Like you say sales, everybody's like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. Like you <laughs> car like yeah. ah. Mm. I don't want to talk to a salesperson. That sounds horrible. Uh,
1: question: How long were you at the? Was it was it the Jason Project uh-huh. or the University? How long were you there before you went to sales, and what made you go to sales?
3: Well, so that was my second real job after graduating. Right. Um, college because my first job was working in a one-room schoolhouse. Um, so I i don't know. I think I was there for, like, three, two or three years. And what happened is that that foundation was changing and evolving. So my actual role wasn't really going to be needed anymore. And, um, and I went into sales because, you know, as you make money, your expectations go up higher then. You're like, okay, so now I'm making, what, you know, $40,000 a year. So now I want to make $100,000 a year, you know, and that's just how, that's what we all work off of, you know, as we climb the ladder. So I think one of the What I
0: explain is uh, there's the the theory of the hedonic treadmill, which is, like, I got a Civic, and it's really nice. Now I want to, you know, whatever, the SI, the next version. Like, I want to make more money. Exactly. The treadmill that we're all on, yeah. Exhausting.
3: Exactly. So... Yeah. And I had a girlfriend that I had graduated with and she, um, college with, and she was talking to me about her job and it just happened to be such, they were looking for someone and, um, and it just happened to work perfectly. So I started there before I'd even quit my other job and, mm. and, and it was a really powerful experience overall. So I guess I'm going to mostly focus on the positive, um, That's of good. that experience I
1: like that. yeah,
3: because, it really showed me the power that of me manifesting and putting goals out there and just banging out those goals because people are like, those goals are impossible. And mm. you know, there was no yeah. impossibility. Um, and yeah. that was oh, really awesome. my younger, my younger spirit was very, very like nothing's impossible. And I still believe that, but with a little more life experience, sometimes I'm like, Hmm, let's sort of <laughs> adjust. Style
1: it back. I, I, I just don't want to do that. Like-
3: <laughs> so um, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about my personal potential. And it really pushed me in the design field, which I, I really, really appreciate that aspect of it. Um, and it really pushed me into natural design because I realized one thing, you know, I've always been consistent ever since I was younger is that I have to be creating positive change um, to feel feel fulfilled in my life. And so I had a conversation with myself um, in the middle of that, job like after a year and a half in or two years and i was thinking what am i doing to create positive change and after
1: you're you're still talking the sales job not yeah the design job yet okay
3: yeah I'm and sure. um i was like well i'm making people smile every day i'm giving people i'm compassionate with people i make people's days brighter um but that ended up not being enough um to for me so what happened is i got really tired of just chasing numbers um, Mm. and just putting those numbers as like the master of everything. And I felt like um, it was, it was, there was a lot of um, sexual undertones and I just didn't know how to deal with that coming from a, um, you know, educational background and a university background. I didn't know how to deal with that. Um, And so um, I, and I didn't, I didn't really know how to stand up for myself as a woman. I didn't understand how to stand up for myself. I was younger and now would be a totally different experience. Like, come on, I will put you right in your place. <laughs> no problem. If you, don't,
0: <laughs> if you don't mind, I know you want to stick more to the positive, but I'm curious, because this is not the first time that this has been brought up uh, by a woman on a podcast. So sexual undertones, like can you give any examples or, or, or hey, what did explain like? like what, what it feel like, or what, like, yeah, what did yeah. that mean for you as a woman in sales? Yeah.
3: Um, well, my workforce, it was very sexual and there was a lot of alcohol involved in the socializing, um, of the company of the mentality of the company. Um, and so a lot of, um, inappropriate things would happen and inappropriate things and inappropriate advances. And, um. I didn't even know how to handle it. I'll tell you honestly, I just didn't know. And I'm teaching my daughter at a very young age that you are in charge of your body. And immediately when you feel uncomfortable, you voice that immediately. Um, I never, I just didn't, I didn't know how to respond. So I would just let things go or even, you know, just go along with them. And it would Mm -hmm. get to the point where I was like, do I tell my husband or and then I'm like he will make me quit right away and I've never made this much money and it's going to turn mm. into a huge thing and I live in a small town mm. and um there was a lot of that and now I'm I appreciate that experience because I now know what exactly I would do you know
1: did you did what did that I mean it sounds like there was a lot of emotional psychological struggle with that. Like how long did it take you to, to manage through to the, I mean, obviously you have a, a strong perspective on it now and there was a good learning, but what did it take you to get there?
3: It took me waking up and say, I need to get the fuck out of here.
1: Yeah. It was, it was that <laughs> moment then basically. Yeah.
3: yeah. And then it yeah. took a few years to process all that, to be honest, yeah. mm-hmm. it took a few years. And, um, uh, it, um catapulted me in a place of really looking for authentic, um, uh, living an authentic lifestyle, and recognizing that I can make large amounts of money without ever ever sacrificing my ethics, and um, that is the bottom line. And so that it really changed my whole focus to uh, around business in general, that I can create positive change while making large amounts of money while Keeping with my own ethics and being a very ethical person and standing up for myself.
1: What was it that got, like, because it's one thing to just say, I need out. Like, this is obviously a messed up environment, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to quit. What led to the realization that you don't need that to make the money that you want to make and you can do it in a more positive way?
3: Well, you know what? I was making so much money Um, and I was spending all that money on trying to fix, heal my soul. I was going, I was spending tons of money on going to retreats and going to spas and doing all these things that I thought would make me feel better. And I just never felt better. And so um I, when I realized that I was like, wow. So it doesn't even matter. I, I don't need to put myself through this because it doesn't even matter how much money I make because I can't fix my spirit. I can't fix my soul because I'm going against all of my values and my ethics. And, I'm, and, um,
0: so you were almost spending the money, fixing how you made the money or how the the culture that you were in to make the money. Mm-hmm.
2: Huh. Yep. Hmm.
1: And, yeah. And so you left And that led to doing design that also made you a good amount of money and you didn't have to sacrifice all of those things.
3: Right. It was interesting because when I left, um, it wasn't pretty. Like Mm -hmm. I tried to cut it nicely and it just, you know, it was this, it was the continuing of the, it was the continuation of just the whole thing, you know, of not Mm -hmm. being ethical, not being honest. And so a lot of the people that I worked with actually reached out to me, and I actually had to change my phone number. Like a lot of my clients would would not stop leaving me alone. Like, you need to um, start your own business. This is – because I actually was – I when I was transitioning, I was going to start a solar business. I had bought a solar franchise.
2: Mm. <laughs>
3: um, so I already had that in line, um, but my clients would just – kept reaching out to me and saying, you need to go after this and do this because this is something you're really good at. Hmm. So they sort of propelled me starting my um, own design
1: company. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's kind of cool. Well, that's cool. And then you did that for Hmm. 10 years.
3: Yeah. um, And I went to, I actually got, um, studied for my master's in regenerative ecological design and that was life changing. So it sort of it was a great thing because it made me go back to my roots. My roots is um, I love nature. I am more of the crunchy hippie type, but not really. But in the sense of that, I love being in nature. I really believe what, what we're around and what we're doing impacts us in in a large, substantial way. So I believe that our house is like um, our, our third skin, you know, our clothing being our second skin. Um, so I believe that the way what we use to build our homes and what we are putting in our homes affects us on so many levels. Um, so I was able to de- delve into that um, and really, because as soon as I started my own business, I I um, actually, the premise of my design company um, is that, you know, we use sustainable, um, renewable products. Um, and then after studying regenerative ecological design, it became more of like, well, we need to use just because something's recycled doesn't mean that it's healthy for you because it could be mm. Off-gassing mm. It at large amounts. So, I mean, it started a whole new big adventure in my life. Um, and like any situation, it made me stronger. It made me know exactly what I accept in my life now. Yeah.
1: And um, so. So it, that's, I, it's a- it really was a, a, just a soul-sucking, need-to-get-out type of situation, and then you started your own business. Mm-hmm.
3: That's it. That's awesome. That was a long answer, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's good. a
1: good
0: answer. It's a good answer. I, and I, but it's, a good, it's good context, right? Because, like, I, and, I, go ahead, right Well, I'm just curious, it, it, uh, maybe to cap off on it. Like, you said you were afraid to tell your husband about it because what he would think. Did you have that conversation, like, as you were leaving or after you left or oh, yeah. what was that? What was that? conversation? What was that like?
3: He knows the whole thing. Um, it was like, well, you know, well, first of all, he was really angry, you know, and I knew he was going to be angry. And so that's, I was just, he's not a aggressive person, but I was concerned um, about his response. But yeah, he, he was pretty angry for quite a while about it. Um, mm-hmm. And he was like, You know, I don't, I don't know why you even allowed that stuff to go Mm -hmm. on, but I totally love you and I'll, whatever, you know, you need to do. So.
0: Mm. mm -hmm. So he was supportive about the next step.
3: That, that that
0: response, that's That's a cool response. Yeah. Like, it seems simple, but like, to be mad and to be like, but I'll support you is not easy. Right.
1: And it's, it's one of those things, like.
0: When it comes to,
1: um, like, sexual situations, sexual assault, sexual abuse, like, and it's been reported quite a bit that especially teenagers or, you know, young women are afraid to tell their men in their lives because, not just of be, response, because of yeah. their response,
0: right? Like, I don't want my or dad even, to go to jail because he... he killed the dude right, right. or or because my dad said he would if i if right man if he, like so anybody ever touched you, I'm a
1: kill him and throw him
0: through you know and
1: i don't think like, i don't want, want to put him in that situation so putting like, my dad in jail yeah which is
0: which is it's heavy yeah.
1: it is
3: heavy and it you know to anyone out there in that sort of situation i would just want to say now i know that I am valuable enough to stand up and say, you know what, I if you ever touch me like that again, or if you ever talk to me like that again, it's going to be a problem. So this is your, this is your warning.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and
3: I suggest that you, it's so hard when you're in it, but it will just change your life to either break out of it or just use your voice. Use your voice. Or men, mm-hmm. too. I mean, whoever's dealing with sex. Yeah, anybody. Yeah, yeah, anyone. Anybody.
0: Any- like, your value, it's... Nah that's a big one i Keith i don't know if I've ever told you this um my wife we were dating in college one of um we were at this bar and uh we're walking through like the dance floor and some guy grabbed her ass and like before i could before I could make any move or even really have a thought she had grabbed his shirt and pushed him up against the wall and like grabbed his junk and was and like but squeezed and like grabbed and she was mm-hmm. like how do you like that and then just like walked <laughs> off and I was like Right.
3: I, I want cool. like, to meet your wife. I don't.
0: I don't yeah. have to do it. N- yeah. We're good. I don't, hey, I I don't like, feel that good. obligation. Yeah. I at we're him good. like We're good, here? good. Yeah. Okay.
1: Cool. See, yeah. I
3: want to. <laughs> I want to understand how you make how you create someone that has that um, non-accept. You know, like no.
0: It's a lot through. I mean, it's her mom. Like her mom's kind of a no bullshit. You're not gonna walk all over her. her. Strong, independent, female minded,
1: which ultimately speaks like let's let's dig into this you know take a pivot and go into it um you said you came from a a lower class family like what does that mean
3: low income Mm. i used the wrong word
1: okay Mm. yeah Low income. (laughs) Um, i kind of knew what you meant a lot of wrong words um it's It's all good that's why we asked
0: for clarity it's called um... called english english is just (laughs) a of using the wrong words.
3: Uh, you know, I came from a low-income family. I, my mom is white and my, my stepdad is, um, he is Hispanic. Um, we've always lived in upper, we always, the interesting thing is we always lived in.
0: Your stepdad's Hispanic. What's your dad?
3: My dad is Jamaican and he, I never met him. Um, so, but we always lived in really white, white areas. Um, so part of, and I, you know, I think that part of my not using my voice is always just have wanting to fit in. Um, I went to Columbine High School. Um, I was the only oh, black really? girl there. And um,
1: Columbine? Like, were you there like the in Columbine? 95? I
3: wasn't there. No, I wasn't there. I okay. had just graduated. But I did know. Wow. Um, you know, I knew Eric Harris. And, and I, I went to school with his brother. And, um, yeah, so... There was a lot there is a lot of uh, just me trying to always fit in and me always being the black girl in in my childhood and in my life, which I love now. I love that. But as a child, it really made me insecure um, because I was always getting stared at everywhere we went.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. And um, I was always the odd one out. And um,
0: did you realize it then or did you realize it looking back?
3: That I was the odd one out. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, when the kids are like, this is the sweetest thing. I, um, when I was in elementary, the kids were like, you're, did you notice your mom left you in the sun too long?
0: Mm.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I
3: noticed. Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't know. i like, you left me out in the sun. I was <laughs> so, like, no, no. Everyone, the, the, you know, skin is the color of rainbows. And I'm like, oh my gosh, phew but that's when I realized that I was different <laughs> and that was like yeah. his first or second grade, I think.
0: Yeah. So, Go ahead. Well, I got to I just got, I, I got to go back to this. And if you don't want to talk about it, it's okay. Um, You talked right past your dad and yeah. that. And so I'm curious, like you'd mentioned earlier, realizing your value. And I'm wondering if any of that has to do with the non-existent relationship with your dad, especially with the black thing. Like, Feeling connected to it or not, because it literally wasn't there. Because I mean, he but, like, was that part. Mm, your stepdad was Hispanic, so it's like, it's not
1: the uh, same, right?
3: Yeah, you know, I do think that was a part of it. Um, because when you're when you're younger and you don't see anyone that looks like you, it really makes you feel, you know, um, like you don't fit in
0: some type of way, as the kids say.
3: Yeah, it makes hmm. you feel some type of way, and then the, the you know, the irony of. Going um, to like schools where I would just be the only black girl, and maybe there'd be maybe a black guy or or two, but we would never talk. Um, it was just, it was a weird. I I
0: oh no, there was no solidarity. No,
3: like you know. no, it was it was it was odd. Um,
2: huh.
3: Yeah, my childhood. Th- there was a lot of amazing things about my childhood, but my skin color definitely was something like I'll tell um like I always felt like I had a um a disability. I explained it like that. I started mm-hmm. working with disabled kids cuz that's what I I felt like I would. I really blended like felt like I could be on the same level with like them. They understood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I thought it was my passion. I spent all my summers volunteering at Easter Seals handicamps and it was my favorite time of year and um Yeah, it was an interesting childhood. And then, of course, I went to therapy when I got to college and I realized that um, it was a lot of the staring um, and just feeling like I didn't fit in. That would make me put a lot of pressure on myself to, like, try to look perfect and um, just undo pressure.
0: So you said, of course, I went to therapy when I got to college. That is uh, no, not something I did until I was yeah. very old in my life. <laughs> I do so, like, too, but you what, know, what no, propelled no. you to go to col- therapy in college?
3: Um. Well, I was or bulimic hmm So I feel like this is a therapy session. <laughs> but uh, it's not. That
0: happens from time to time I, on we, our we, Sometimes people are like, "I'm on a couch right now." I'm like, "Not yeah. really. We just want to know you. Like, we want to get to know you." To but like, bulimic anorexic. And go back and listen to a few of her episodes that we do on this topic on yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and we
1: it. Yeah. It was the
3: biggest our... gift though. Uh, um, because I did get into therapy at 18 and it was the, my school paid for it, my university and I was, it was intense therapy and it basically, I just realized I was sitting in my um, apartment and I realized like, I'm never going to be able to be successful at anything. If I have this addiction, and if I'm stuck in this, you know, addiction of food and and uh, hatred of my body, I'm like, but I'll what? never have, a, I'll never find a a husband. I'll never be able to do good in my job because I was like failing out of school, and it was it was uh, one of those when you're at the bottom of the barrel moments.
1: When did that? When did bulimia anorexia hit for you? When did that start, and what led to it? I'm sure you've done enough work to answer. Um
3: questions. it started in high school, at the end of high school. Uh-huh. And what led okay. to it is me not feeling like I fit in. And I needed yeah. to I was overweight. Um, I was an overweight high schooler kid and as soon as I hit puberty I started gaining weight. Um and I think a lot of that was just finding finding um food was my friend. You know, I'd come home from school and I would just eat a lot of food because it was tough. School was tough for me. Um, You know, we had there. It's interesting because I've never, you know, as a child, I did. There was moments of a lot of racism as a child. um, And I feel like it helped to make me who I am today. And but at the same time it was really underground. It was like an underground thing, you know, that, but kids will take what their parents are doing underground and come out and say it out loud.
0: Yeah. So they have no, say, they don't even know, understand it. They're just like,
3: yeah. So they're like, you were you left know. in the
0: sun too long.
3: Yeah. But you know, yeah. that that was the nice version of it. As, yeah, as for sure. Um, and I think I just didn't know what to do with all that. I didn't, and I didn't know how to handle being different and, um, you know, my mom did the best she could. She's a beautiful white uh Italian woman and um but she didn't really know, you know, what to do either. And Yeah, sure. I mean, props to my mom. She had me um you know, I was born in 1978, so not far from when they were integrating schools. I was one of the I don't know if this is one of her stories or not, but supposedly um I was one of the first black babies born on the eugene census um because there's like in eugene oregon there's an area where all the blacks lived but it wasn't Mm. directly in eugene it was outside of eugene Mm. and so she i mean just i can't imagine bringing in a child and with all that contentious time going on uh Mm. and especially living as a white woman your whole life so not really understanding the underlining um the
0: underlying or in general the has exposure some, is different. Oh, a lot of it has some Portland? real strong race. Portland, issues. boy, like you, like yeah. damn near the South issues. Yeah. Like, Oregon's has some strong racial yeah. divide and they still really does. Do. Yeah, even which you don't, which I, I'm from Indiana. I did not know until yeah. I moved to California. I did yeah. not know this about Oregon.
3: I didn't even word. know
0: that. Portland.
3: <laughs> I, don't know. Yeah. I didn't know that at all.
1: Yeah, so, Portland yeah. in particular, like the development of
0: Portland, and its it was basically kind of to be a white bastion, yeah. like away from the yeah, color vote. A lot of black. Like, that's black what black it was intended area. to be. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. what's
3: interesting, though, is I've never. So, in um, high school, there was this black counselor lady, and she was like, You need to go to an all black college. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> you know, because I would, I would, I was in like, you know, Atlanta or something and I'm with all my white friends or whatever and they're like, Why are you talking white girl? And what's going on with you? Why are you hanging out with whites? So it was it's that integration of being mixed, um, that now is so beautiful and so accepted. But in yeah. those days there was like you that's probably why I felt like I was choose
0: your lane. Did the, yeah, did the there was no this was a guidance counselor?
3: Yeah. A guidance counselor
0: said you were they white or black? She was black. black. Yeah. She was black. And yeah. what was her context? Like, was she just like, you need to get around some black people or? I
3: think so. hmm. I think so. But
0: she didn't share her not... reasons for.
3: I, you know, I don't remember, but I just remember being petrified.
0: <laughs> idea.
1: Mm. I'm like, you know,
3: I, I talk white, I act white, whatever all these things are. But at you've, that you've time... spent
1: all this time finding your identity around this white culture. And now you go around this culture and they're telling you you're wrong. You felt did you feel like afraid of being alienated again and having to start over, like finding yourself?
3: Well, yeah. And I have never had I never had at that time I had never had good experience when I was put in black areas. So mm. um, you know, even walking downtown Denver, I would like get crap from um black people. It was it was a weird well, now I'm... that we're talking about all this. It was a very weird paradigm. And I understand now as an adult in reflection how me going through all this development but having nothing that um looked like me was a challenging or that you know that i could relate to
0: and to add some context for people listening like your lighter your complexion is lighter than mine Mm -hmm. and there is within black communities a often a negative stereotype against light-skinned folk like oh well they got it easier or they could pass or whatever it is you're just different like you're too dark. Like it's weird. You're too black, yeah. or you're not black enough. Like, but there's never an okay with inside even the black paradigm. Yeah. So you were getting it on both ends. It's like, plus, if you sound, if you sound how you sound. I sound how I. Like, mm-hmm. I get people all the time. Like, oh, are you a white guy? I'm like, no. Yeah. And it's like, but I talk white, and I would love to talk about talking white because I, I think that's an end or talking black yeah, talking or talking whatever. Like,
3: trouble, trouble. Depends yeah, on your.
0: It does depend on who you're talking to, and then like I, I mean personally, I think that code switching is a real thing. Like I, and I learned it very directly, very young. But it's a, but it, it, but from a just a just a conceptual level, like what does that mean? Like we're all talking. How I sound is how I sound. Like there are (laughs) black folk that sound like like there was one time where I was talking like this to Keith, and he was like, oh, he's like. I can't remember exactly what you said, but I was like, yo, there are actually funny. there are actually black Brits like <laughs> th- it's not a white accent. Yeah, it yeah, is actually yeah, just an accent yeah. that anybody can hold no that that
1: Western European way of thinking or talking is is white and then it's
3: interesting to... to me that it even is a deal. but you know that what how you talk is what
0: is how you talk but... yeah,
3: I mean, how you talk is how you talk.
0: Yeah. And but like, we get I think it's as we group and categorize and it's easier yeah. for us to just be like well if you talk like that then in and, front and the it's hood, become and if you such like a that you're yeah like, it's no. become
1: such a cultural thing that like you when you when you think about the stereotype like black men are lower economic and all these things but if you grow up in an all-black suburb or or cul-de-sac where everybody has a you know that's there's just a
0: you know, Six-figure existence. jobs, Lexuses,
1: whatever. Every, everybody talks normal. That's not white or black. That's but just, then you go crazy. into this part of town where you're in an all-black area and they are less educated. Um, in the same way that like, if you go into the, the, the sticks or in a lower economic area that's all white. like The, 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 the dialect of English is extremely different than my cul-de-sac here in Ohio, yet they're not considered like I, I, we're all considered talking white, but they're not considered talking black. There's what are they talking? They get their own unique dialect, right. Versus it being a racial thing. It's, it's, it's a weird social construct that it, it exists and it's, it's silly.
0: It needs to die.
3: It's interesting though, because I was, I in high school or college, I was working with this family, um, that was they were really poor and they had like seven or eight kids and they were in uh montana the whitest place ever right and i love montana and i'd have to say I've, i really never felt any discrimination here which is amazing i
0: have some stories about montana
3: um yeah and but they had a, the, this deep south accent those kids and they'd never left yeah. Montana, and it was like this slang and i it was just so interesting to me that they had that accent
1: and then what do you what do you call it right like it's yeah, not white 30 it's 30 not 30. black right like 30. why it doesn't have some racial tag to it yeah
3: right.
1: you know you you, you put a, little, a low uh, income
3: tag i think is
1: it is a little bit. for sure but it's economic it's not it's it's economically driven versus racially driven right, right. like yeah. you you talk that way because of the color of your skin. Nope. That's that's not the way that works. I can promise you that. <laughs> that's true. So I have I have to reconcile something though, because I'm I'm very fascinated by your story. It makes yeah. sense to me that you had that journey in sales, right? Like given your need for identity and that struggle to fit in and not knowing how to handle that ecosystem and, it, and like all of that stuff like logically. Yet earlier you said when your younger self, nothing was impossible. Mm-hmm. How, where does that come from? Like how, where does that mentality come from? Because it's like then all of a sudden you got out of it and now you are where you are. All I mean that mentality kind of drives you through it all. So where does where does nothing is impossible come from for you?
3: Um I think from dealing with um some hardships in my life and getting through them and becoming stronger mm-hmm. and I always I always um everything that happens,
0: proved it to yourself.
3: Yeah, everything that happens to me, I'm always like, What is my lesson here? What am I supposed to learn that I can take Who on? Who taught
1: you that? Who taught you that? Who mom. taught you to ask that question? Probably my mom. Your mom? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How did she do that? I'm curious. Like <laughs> as a parent, like I wanting to she, impart these things on my children. I yeah, think she
3: would just say that. Like it was like she's not the she. Um, she was never, you know, like we won't sit here and feel she's a feel bad for ourselves. We will be proactive, and part of that proactive response was like what did you learn from this? What do you think, you know, you can do to make sure this never happens? Or what would you do? It was always a proactive response.
1: How was she then, I mean, through, especially like anorexia and bulimia, uh, it can be hard when someone says, like, what are we learning from this? Like, how was she during that period?
3: That was a tough, that was a tough period for her because I think a lot of the loved ones, in my life, we're just frustrated. Like, just, it's frustrating to observe someone you love doing that to themselves. Um, yeah. So, that one, you know, that's when we had a call. I am think, that's why I'm so thankful I had the therapists I had. Because they were able to help me recognize a lot of those issues were from the fact that I never felt like I belonged. Um, mm-hmm. That was the core issue there. You know, and they were able to teach me how to um, love myself, you know, for, for my differences. And, you know, I don't even know how they did that, but, you know, I came out of, dang it.
0: That's what I was going to ask was next. (laughs) For for those listening who might, for those listening, who might need the same uh, information, like what was the journey of learning to love yourself? Uh, Because I walked
3: out of that two year or three year um, intensive session. I had this amazing therapist and I can't even remember her name. Uh, but I would give her present, I would give her cards on mother's day. Cause I was like, you become a second mom wow. to me, wow. yeah. um, because you've rebuilt my spirit in a way that only a mom could do. And, um, mm. so she, I just remember coming out of there and I all of a sudden just loved my uniqueness and, and I started to play off of it, you know, like I love my curly hair. I love, I love that I get attention You know, to, to the, like, I love that I get attention because I'm, I'm black and unique. And, 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 and and I made a decision at that time is that, you know what, if, if I'm the first black person you're going to meet in your life, I want it to be the best experience for you Mm -hmm. and me so that you can remember that, that I'm, you know, like I'm breaking the stereotypes. So at that point, because that was a big issue for me as people would stare at me a lot and, um, I would just start smiling when they stare, smiling at them and like talk to them and, and, um, sort of break down the barriers. Once I was able to step out of myself and recognize that they were just intrigued, um, it really, it helped me so much. But when I was taking it all in as a part, like something's wrong with me, you know, it's all your perception. when I was thinking something is wrong with me, then I wasn't able to step out of myself. And, um, Interact with people and recognize that um, it, it's a great opportunity to say, like, I'm no different than you. Um,
1: like, you have this, and just kind of tying part of your bio into this because fascinating ability. You're you're intrigued by other people. You love strangers. You love talking to strangers. You love talking to people. Because we're all similar, as we like to say, we all have more in common than 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 we don't, right? Yet, you've been stared at your whole life, you've been alienated in many ways, treated disrespectfully. I mean, the list goes on, yet you have this inherent ability to see that truth, like, what is it that you're channeling to do that and how do you remind yourself and do you forget that sometimes? I mean, like, where does that, where is that inside of you? You know,
3: that's a good question. Um, I, I just have a huge belief that, um, the good outweighs the bad and Mm. that I'm here to learn. You know, I, I've always believed that, that um, where what we are right now, there's so much more than that. So, I believe in um, I believe in energy. I believe in that the, that there's much greater things happening in the universe at this very moment than we could even possibly imagine. So, and I find a lot of that in nature because nature is so amazing, and you just can't, you cannot even mentally comprehend. I mean, scientists and biologists, and they're they're always trying to find out more, but we have no idea how how all this spectacular stuff comes together. You know, like
2: right.
3: I look out my window and I see this huge mountain and there's snow and there and it's just so gorgeous. So I think yeah. my faith in something beyond myself <clears throat> always brings me back to like what is the lesson? And um Like I'm here to grow. I'm here to become a better person. And so.
0: I was just getting ready to ask where nature came into this for you. And that is such a, you answered it like beautifully. Um, Faith in something beyond yourself. That's, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that that's a very. um, Yes. Almost poetic. way you said it do. um, What does nature mean to you? Like what, do you just love like? What does it mean to you and or like? How do you experience nature? What what's yeah, I, I think that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. How what do does you it experience mean? Experience nature.
3: Okay, so I have to get out into nature every day. It's one of my life hacks. I um, <clears throat> I go outside. I either like. I've, the lucky thing is, is I live in a very remote place, and I live where I can just walk out my front door and take a long walk and the birds are chirping and there's beautiful trees and there's mountains. And um, so it's really easy for me to get out in nature. Um, but nature is my place. It's, it's my church. It's my balancing place. It's the place where I feel completely connected to everything around me. And um, I can find complete peace.
0: I understand that. I, I did this, <clears throat> this hike with my wife. Like a, I don't know. I was like, long long hike out in some remote mountains and we got back i was like man like i have never felt more like myself than this time like i didn't even know where my phone was like i just loved being and i can't i don't even know if i can really fully explain what it felt like but other than being like myself which was really cool
1: is there's there's such a biological connection All of us have right sharing the same elemental properties with a mountain that we do with another human being, Um, and when you're out there, it just you feel it. You feel those natural vibrations. It's, um, I I mean, I still, when I think about my time in Alaska that I went twelve years ago, I still feel it. Like just sitting there looking at Mount Mount McKinley, Mount Denali, and you know off the port just like the feeling you know, just being on a ice an, an a glacier right and then you can just that feeling that you have it's 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 a it's a it's a different world um and that's awesome <laughs> i
3: agree with you and because in the sense it reminds me how very small i am mm. in this huge huge world and it puts things in perspective every time every time i'm out there
0: yeah say you said earlier uh see you said i have to be creating positive change to be fulfilled in my life and the way you said it was so mm, resolute like you just know it sounded like it's just it's you when did you figure that out when and when or how
3: that's a good question because i i pretty much have known that my whole life i was just like born into that and um Mm -hmm. Makes sense. That's always been my goal is like to create positive. That is just every, ever since I can remember, I would. So do you
0: find since you've always, since it's always been there, as long as you can remember, did you just find like maybe in a sales job, like the further away you got from it, the less happy you were. And then that probably led to that snapping point of like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. How did
1: you like accept that though? Like, I think that's the hard thing for, I know it is for me. Like, okay, you know, these things are there, but now I got to accept that that is what I want. Like that is the true me. Is it just, well, this is, this is it. Or is there something more there?
3: Well, it was like my soul is going to die. And, Mm. um, if I don't listen to what I know I need, Mm. you know? And so I can either spend all my days trying to band aid up my soul and keep doing this, or I can just listen to what my soul needs. And, um, I think that's one of the biggest lessons that that whole experience taught me is that I had to sort of I was pushing away my into my intuition and what I know I need and um, that whole time and I sort of had to retrain myself to start listening because I was saying yeah it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay like I'll get through this and I wonder you know for me I that it was very very clear that I was just not going to be a happy person. I could have all the money in the world, but who cares if your soul isn't vibrant and happy and, you know. That clarity,
1: it's its admirable. I mean, I just listened to your story and it's just like fraught with potential to go in a totally different direction and your attitude about everything. It's just, it's outstanding, which now has led you to run this amazing podcast. Like why the platform that you've chosen how did that come about how did you figure
3: that out well that's a whole other podcast I will try to summarize it really quick um um, after I had my daughter I um got really sick with Epstein-Barr and and my life changed because I'd never been sick really in my life um and um it really changed my my attitude wasn't as positive at first it was like at the beginning it was like oh I'll get through this it's going to be fine like this is another lesson. And then it you know I was sick for like then I think like 2 years I was sick and I was starting to think oh my gosh like I'm never going to be able to travel I'm never going to be able to I mean I was so sick I couldn't really function in society. I couldn't walk. I couldn't do my daily walks. I couldn't um work out. I um Yeah, so that was a really hard time for me and um What happens is that your brain gets in a loop cycle um, that actually creates a fight or flight response. So when you get super sick or you get poisoned or you get um, a really emotional traumatic event in your life, basically I've had every one of those events um, I found out later. So um, basically, quick story, I was super, super sick. I just wasn't getting better. My immune system was just getting catching all these sort of things. And my diet was so clean and I was on great vitamins and I just reached the bottom um, and was exposed to a program called DNRS dynamic neural retraining program. And um, they teach you that when you have really, when you get really sick with Lyme's disease or Epstein-Barr mm-hmm. that your body actually goes in a, in a loop system and it becomes in a, in a, fight-or-flight response, a constant fight-or-flight response.
0: Is that parasympathetic?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yep, that is. Um, it's a limbic system is how they define it. It's a limbic system response. Um, So they, I signed up for their program, and it's a really, really intensive, okay. intensive program, and um, it's rewiring your brain to get out of fight-and-flight. And it's a dedicated hour, a day of practice for six months, and – it's not only an hour a day. You're catching your thoughts um, all day. And uh, it just, I think three months in, one of their things they tell you is like, stop following bad news. Stop um, exposing yourself to social media that always is constantly sharing bad news. And <clears throat> and um, I was trying, I, it was a hard thing to find good news. Like I'm like looking through my what my friends are posting and it's just like, someone died here, and this is disease here, and the world is ending, and the planet is destroyed, and I was thinking, gosh, like, I, you know, this is really strange, and then I started thinking, gosh, everyone's limbic system is impaired, because everyone's sharing bad news, but it's just, I'm more intense, so one morning I woke up, more, I'd never... You're
0: more sensitive to it.
3: Super, super sensitive. I'm, Are you more sensitive?
0: I'm super sensitive. I can't. I don't watch the news. I can't handle
3: it. Like, for example, my husband was watching a zombie comedy last night and all night I dreamed about zombies but it Mm -hmm. wasn't a comedy okay and it was just all traumatic (laughs) i I (laughs) I
2: house,
3: like I was digging a whole room underneath my house to protect me from zombies that's when I woke (laughs) up so I'm super sensitive and um I wasn't even watching it I was just I was on my phone working while he was watching this but it was all subliminally going in but yeah so the podcast that's the way the podcast was born as I was getting my strength back and getting my life back um I woke up one morning and this is really how my work my life works
1: um I wake up and I make decisions (laughs) yeah and I was like I need to start a
3: podcast I'd never listened to a podcast before I didn't even know what it was Uh what podcasting was and but I was like I need to start a podcast about the good in the world and there we go
0: so I'm you you literally to decided to be yeah. the good
3: yeah the world. i literally i need that shirt is that the that's, one on your yeah, website you I believe yeah, that's there's-
0: one of them we'll we'll send okay. you one. i'm send gonna me.
3: get that shirt um but yeah and that's how the podcast started and it is it has been amazing um yeah it's been sort of a selfish journey too because it's been my healing journey and been they able to
0: teach what you need or you mm-hmm. make what you need or Mm-hmm. um i want to just real quick uh echo what he said like the journey like i don't know like there's just something about your energy like this whole journey is Um, uh, you're you're very understated in the way that you talk through some of this um which is cool i mean it's not good or bad it's just i don't i think it would be easy to lose the significance of everything that you just said uh and the journey that you've gone through because uh I think It's a lot. Yeah, there's so here. much
1: about your story it's that really I love as it relates to you know the platform that we're trying to promote because like you tee it up. You know, I'm a hippie, right? I, but like, you said a crunchy a, a hippie. A, a crunchy, crunchy hippie. hippie. I'm a granola, that? That
3: right? Crunchy? Yeah,
0: I'm a little no, granola. Like, I live in L.A. You know? Like I'm, I'm a half a step away from being hippie, but I don't know what crunchy yeah. is. Like,
3: I listen yeah. to you on the podcast, so crunchy means that you're always, kind of like, you're always looking for like holistic. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, and so like, then that makes me using,
3: crunchy. Yeah, you're yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. I'm, crunchy. All, uh, yeah. I just, I'm all about my mushrooms <laughs> and turmeric. Let's go. Yeah. yeah, and and like you,
1: you come on so instantly. Um, you know, you can. And I'm not me, but they like, just like oh, here we go. What are we going to talk about? And it's like oh, but I'm an entrepreneur that believes that. You know nothing is impossible. It's like, okay, but then you grew up lower economic status, you battled a lot of struggles, and all of this stuff in between then and now, and it's like, oh, like there's so much relatable to you, regardless of of where you come from and I just i I thank you for sharing your story yeah um and in sharing and being vulnerable and opening up a lot of those things um because you know. I don't know how often you talk about it publicly but um it's it's all awesome especially for the you know our audience and what we talk about a lot. So um but we're coming to a close.
3: Well, you guys and, are awesome. I didn't have any idea what I'd talk about coming on here and I just want to say you guys do have a knack of just a great conversation. Um I love what you guys are doing and I appreciate coming on so much. I appreciate being here. Well, thank, so,
0: thank you. So much. And we welcome you on your show now. You're
3: ready to come on.
0: <laughs> so, but um, I want one ask final question. Our final question, and just say thank you again, and ask, what would you like to leave the listeners with today?
3: I would like to say, believe in yourself, and that anything is possible. And if you have a dream, dream that dream every day wake up and visualize your dream every day and that is it will come to pass it will come to pass just make sure you're dreaming every day